after a brief break, we're starting what I'm considering season two of I'm Freaking Lonely, How About You? Staying Connected in the Time of COVID. You may ask, are we still in the time of COVID? And the answer is a resounding yes. But with all the other issues creating social turmoil, the activist Supreme Court implementing their right-wing agenda, the war in Ukraine, inflation, mass shootings, COVID certainly is receding in our immediate consciousness. Still, its impact is undeniable and far-reaching. But now we're facing COVID with strong defenses and have a much better grasp on how it's impacted us and how we're moving forward. What our futures will look like. What in 2020 was a complete unknown has now become a way of life. I'm your host, Sheila Nall, and today we'll be hearing from designer photographer Sandy Stoltzman. I know Sandy from my previous life in the world of design, where she was founder of Stoltzman & Company and then Duet Design Partnership. As the leader of these firms, Sandy provided resources, excellent products, and indeed advice and guidance for many of our finest workplace and university design projects. And while she clearly was passionate about design, her newfound passion launched her into a retirement, in air quotes, career-focused, pun intended, on photography. See what I did there? Indeed, I think she's the first influencer I've had on my podcast. You can see some of her great work on Instagram at Sandy Stoltzman Photography. I look forward to hearing about that transition and the new doors her photography has opened for her during our conversation. Welcome, Sandy, and thanks for joining us today. Let's start by having you tell us a little bit more about your background. Hi, Sheila. Nice to see you. Nice to spend time with you. Yeah, that's great. Um, Well, I'm a designer by education and then went into commercial sales for high-end office products. The best. (laughs) Thanks. I was 21 years old, uh, and I started my own business after working for someone for about a year and a half mm-hmm. by bringing a textile company to the market. And then from there, it grew to many other larger manufacturers and a uh, responsibility for three states, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. Mm-hmm. So I spent my time on the road. I guess so. <laughs> Hopefully the gas prices weren't as bad back then. No. <laughs> No, they weren't. But we didn't have Google Maps and we didn't have Waze. Oh, that's true. It was paper maps and finding your way. Yeah. God. So you said you grew up in Connecticut, but how did you end up here and where's your family? Okay. Well, I grew up in Connecticut and what brought me south to the Philadelphia area was school, was my education. I started out at the um, Philadelphia College of Art. It was called then. Now it's called the University of the Arts, I believe. As a photography and sculpture major. Oh, really? Okay. And um, while I got very interested in photography, I got very interested in sculpture at the same time. And my father said, pick another education because we want you to be able to support yourself in life. (laughs) That sounds so familiar. (laughs) So I transferred to Drexel University and became an interior designer. Okay. They have a great program there. I worked in Houston, Texas when I got out of school for, well, actually, while I was in school, I co-opted at a company in New York City called ISD. Okay. And then they had an office in Houston that was, timing was right. They were looking for people at the time. I graduated in 79, and it was, uh, I don't know if the listeners remember, odd even gas time, but all corporations were moving south Mm. because- It was just more beneficial economically to do business from the South. So I got a job with ISD in Houston, Texas, which was booming at the time. Mm -hmm. 
Then I uh, faced my mother's illness. She was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, dear. And uh, I came home to take care of her. I took a sabbatical, and I came home to take care of her and wound up uh, working for another commercial representative furniture group in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, called Lear Mellick. Mm-hmm. Got to know, I was 21 years old at the time, got to know some of the best in the industry. There were very few women doing that job at the time as well. And the business just grew from there. I went out on my own within a year and a half and was in had my own business for about, well, I would say, 35-plus years. Right, yeah, and a great business it was. We often turn to you. <laughs> Thanks. So, that's great. Thank God. <laughs> so were you able to stay? I know you said both your parents had passed away. Was that before the pandemic? My mom passed away when I was 20. Okay. Yeah. Um, my dad passed away before the pandemic, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Um, were you able to stay in touch with your uh, siblings? Sure, sure. I have one birth brother, and I have two stepbrothers, because my father did remarry after my mom died. He was only 50 years old. Mm-hmm. So he did remarry, and the woman he remarried to was someone I grew up with and knew very well, and mm-hmm. I knew her sons very well. Okay. So we're all very close. That's that's really wonderful. Yeah, yeah. that same thing happened in our family. My mother married like an old friend after she and my father got divorced, and it was wonderful, <laughs> you know, to bring them back into the fold. It was really, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. great, yeah. So, you know, were you able to, to see them during the pandemic, or how, did you create any bubbles? We yeah. did see each other a couple times. One of my brothers has a place up in Vermont, so we could be nicely isolated up there. We knew all of us were COVID-free, so I did some road, a lot of road trips, you know, with very few people around, mm-hmm. um, with photography at heart, and um, seeing family as well, and and did see people, though my family members, a little bit through through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Not an abundance of time because we're all still being very cautious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how did you then transition? I know that you already had the passion and education actually for photography I just learned you know how did you shift into photography and how did that carry you through your retirement and then into the pandemic and through the pandemic well when I decided to sell my business I knew I had to find what I was going to do in the future I'm very goal oriented very task oriented and photography was a natural for me I knew that I had a lot to learn because it was now a digital format, and I had sure, to start a lot from the beginning. Since your <laughs> yes. education, yeah. yes, um, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't accessible to a dark room anymore and doing those things. Nor did I really want to do that. So mm-hmm. digital was beautiful because it was less expensive. It was easier to to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, yet there was a lot of technology behind it. I, a lot of new programs I had to learn. And the cameras themselves are computers these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was uh, a transition I was more than willing to go for because when I'm out doing photography, the world is in my head. Mm-hmm. And I can forget everything around me, any problems, any anything. I feel no pain even mm-hmm. when I'm doing photography. That's amazing. You said that you actually became a bit of a loner, which is really hard for me to believe because you always have seemed so outgoing. So, you know, to, to be a photographer, just sort of at one with your subject matter. It was nice to be behind 
the camera mm-hmm. and not the subject and not have to perform anymore. Yeah, I see. And yeah. be able to create again. Mm-hmm. Because although I certainly could have done photography throughout my career, my career drained all my creative energy. And I couldn't do photography while I was doing my job because mm-hmm. it was a 24-7 job. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate enough to retire, well, to sell my business at the age of 57. Mm-hmm. So I worked hard, but I feel as though I did deserve it. You definitely deserved it. <laughs> I, I slept a lot of furniture. Yeah, yeah, you had some real upper body strength. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. But. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you said that you really love an assignment. Um, you know, I guess photography has fit into that. Yeah, yeah and, and having the connections with the designers in the industry by letting them know that I can work with them uh, – my passion really wasn't for doing print work. Mm-hmm. I really like doing large-scale photo mural work. Oh, uh-huh. So that for me was just wonderful to see things that I would create large on a very large scale. Well, that has a real architectural application. Then. And so your resources and connections maybe gave you the opportunity to do that for people? Yeah. You know, I was given the chance. And uh, it worked out quite well, and hopefully we'll continue in the future. The pandemic's kind of slowed things down a little Mm -hmm. bit. People are in their own spaces, as we all know, and uh, it's hard to reach people. Mm -hmm. Truly that. Well, is there a name for that branch of the work that you do? Yeah, it could be found on the internet as murals.design. Cool. I'm going to go look that up and <laughs> see what kind of work you do. Now, is that the kind of work you me- you mentioned, actually, that you had been working, had been doing some volunteer work on working with some arboretums? Is that the kind of work you were doing for them? Or tell us a little bit about that. Well, there's these wonderful gardens that surround us, but there are hundreds of gardens, local gardens around. I was fortunate enough to have one very close to me called Chanticleer oh. Garden. Mm-hmm. And Chanticleer Garden is, it's like a magical little place within miles from my home. Where is that? It's uh, in Radnor, Pennsylvania. Okay. It's definitely a place to go. Come come on with me. And, uh, Love to. It's just a beautiful place. Every inch is covered with the most glorious vegetation. And there I was able to experiment with different types of photography. Right now I'm into macro photography. So I'm hunting bugs on flowers now. Oh, wow. (laughs) But um, I love details. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what draws me to just about every aspect of photography is the details that I can achieve. Because it seems as though what I photograph through the camera is more than I can see with my own eyes. Mm -hmm. And macro photography, certainly. And when I bring the images onto the computer, I'm always just like, wow. Amazed That's by amazed. what you see. That's amazing because I certainly don't see it with my eyes. Do you need special lenses under yeah. your camera to do that? Absolutely. Yeah. And flash. Yeah. There's nothing like a bug. I mean, really. Yes, I'm for, waiting for the butterflies for, for, this year. Really creative. <laughs> so is that the kind of work you were doing also with, you mentioned Andalusia House, Fort Mifflin, and Tyler Arboretum? Yeah. Well, they all have gardens. Uh-huh. These are all in that garden capital book. Okay. Um, they're all local to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, Fort Mifflin was a place I started, actually, I actually started first with the Elmwood Park Zoo. I volunteered there when I first started. Okay. Because I really wanted to photograph animals. Sure. Getting closer to animals if I could. What's not to love. (laughs) And, um, and getting experience photographing people. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So there... Did you have to get permission? I had to go through a police check, the whole thing, because (laughs) I was going to be around children. Yeah, oh yeah. So um, I started there, and I had to give them a certain amount of hours a month and photograph some of the animals as well as the visitors and the events that they had in that in that zoo. Mm-hmm. And it's a sweet little zoo. It's uh, You can get a lot closer to most animals than you can anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, then I um, branched out to Fort Mifflin. And there I have also have this love of costumes and people in costumes. And at Fort Mifflin, they do a lot of reenactments. Mm-hmm. And the garb that they uh, wear is very traditional. And it's just so much fun to see. And the people just responded to me so nicely, posing with me, for me. And the backdrop was this wonderful revolutionary fort. Uh So it was just fabulous to work there. And I always gave them pictures. And what happened was it turned out that they liked my work so much and appreciated so much that they gave it to them that I had free entree to all these places as time went on whenever I want. So I can go there off hours. I can go there anytime I want. They never charge me anymore. It's It's been kind of nice. And I've been able to meet some really great people. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that did help through the pandemic a bit. Yeah, that's what you said, that the people you've met um, there, and I guess at the other ones, Andalusia yes. House and Tyler, have been um, amazing people to work with. Right. Andalusia is the Biddle family, and they're mm-hmm. just spectacular people. So what's and the story on the Biddle family? They, they're... History goes back to the 1700s in Philadelphia, and this house called Andalusia, which is, it's north of Levittown in Bucks County, mm-hmm. Beautiful and area. it's on the river, yeah. and so this was an area where their family from the you know 1700s mm-hmm. traveled up, like during yellow fever, they escaped the city and traveled to Andalusia House. People like Edgar Allan Poe hung out there, and the the history of the family goes back to Lafayette and uh, travels over to Spain and Europe. That's the tie to Andalusia. Okay. And Napoleon. There's mm-hmm. lots of artifacts for Napoleon. And also, um, one of the ancestors helped write the Lewis and Clark expedition. So all of the notes and all of the information is located in the library in the house. Wow. And how'd you get connected to them? I mean, I just looked up places and, mm-hmm. and I was looking for places where nobody was going to be. Uh-huh. I didn't want to be around people. Yeah. And um, I asked permission. You know, I was always told, my mother told me, you know, the worst I can say is no. Right. Yeah. So just ask. So we've gotten to know them. You know, I've gotten to know them. They've gotten to know me. They have beautiful gardens. And, you know, I'm always invited up off hours at sunrise or whenever I want to go up there mm-hmm. to do the work that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to give them the images, but I do. And I love seeing them on their websites and for their social media. And it gives me a purpose. Oh, that's so cool. That really, and, and similarly, I guess, Tyler Arboretum. Yes, that's but, the newest one. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they've got frog ponds. So I've recently gotten... I've, Recently came back from Costa Rica, and I'm into snakes and frogs. Oh, boy. So, and insects. So, this is is the beginning of the macro work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Fabulous, fabulous stuff. Well, it was really eye-opening for me, you know, to look into these institutions, because I knew nothing about them. And here they are are local, so I thank you for that, and I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go visit. You really (laughs) should, and and if if your listeners pick up that America's Garden Capital booklet, Mm -hmm. it's got all of them, and they can 
tick them off one at a time. Heading down to Delaware, some of the DuPont mansions are just fascinating. Mm-hmm. The Nemours uh, mansion is just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And the history is outright. Like, yes. Okay, cool. Yes, yeah. yes. There's lots of places in Delaware, too. Wow. Cool. Well, I will definitely list that in the information that okay. I, when I post this. Mm-hmm. So, so that's really cool. So have you ever talked to them about maybe doing murals for their locations? Well, they don't really have a place <laughs> to do place murals. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope one day that one of them will want to do a book and I can participate in that because I'd love to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I love uh, looking at your at your photographs, and, and I I will recommend everybody go to your website to to check out particularly your newer work. So the newer work you can find on Instagram. Uh-huh. That's the best place to find me at um, Sandy Stolzman Photography. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Everybody follow. Yeah. For <laughs> sure. So so you started doing this actually before the pandemic, and then because it was such an isolated kind of an activity. You really could pursue it pretty freely. Yeah, it was. It, that's the beauty of it. I could take off on little adventures on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I generally would go on two to three a week prior to gas prices skyrocketing, uh-huh. which has caused me to go local, which is why I've begun to work at Tyler Arboretum a little bit. Okay, so that's a lot closer. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I mean, it's changed. Before the pandemic, I really did enjoy going into the city and photographing people and doing street work as well. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say there's no particular type of photography that I like more than another, other than maybe wildlife photography. But mm-hmm. um, but I really like variety. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to kind of dabble in everything. And at this point, I'm doing it for me. Mm-hmm. Which is it's great. I mean, it's to have something that you could focus on and feel productive and creative during that period, a lot of people didn't have that. And so so you were, I shouldn't say fortunate because it's not dumb luck or anything, but it's, it's great for you that that was sort of your passion and, and your mission and you were able to really pursue that. And just finding some uh, places like these arboretums that could use the work to boost their websites and Social media was just a nice thing to mm-hmm. Have to. you um, worked to sort of push people's awareness of those places for them? or um, I do, because uh-huh. when I put it on my website, I'll put blurbs for them. or mm-hmm. and Not so much my website, on my social media. And try to expose people, you know, you should really check this out. Especially like Fort Mifflin. It's, it's an unsung hero in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, it says, actually... Was represented in several wars. It wasn't just the Revolutionary War, but Correct. the War of eighteen twelve, the Civil War, and World War One and Two. Right, <laughs> like, and and I mean, they fought off the British uh-huh. and held back the British from Washington's troops out mm-hmm. in Valley Forge at the time. Wow! So it's pretty. It's a pretty amazing place that is not getting the funding or attention that it should. Hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's so many. There's so much need, especially in the cities of this country, mm-hmm. that history and these places are disintegrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that along with all of our infrastructure. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a completely different topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that over lunch. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, so clearly, you know, along with your photography, you have a passion and a love for the environment because that sort of 
you know, the source of your inspiration, it appears, right? So, uh, so it looks like you do things and focus on things that support the environment. You mentioned actually only one, uh, the work that they're doing, um, which wouldn't hurt to make the listeners aware of also, which is pretty cool. Onlyone.com, how I came to learn about them, I use uh, Sony equipment for my photography. And Sony has some wonderful programs for women, as well as they have Sony artisans. So when I was going to learn, I wanted to learn from people who obviously had my camera. So I connected to a gentleman called Colby Brown, and he can be found at colbybrownphotography.com. And through him, I went to Cuba and got to know more about the Sony opportunities out there. Wow. Um, They do a lot of grants, Mm -hmm. which I have not participated in one of the grants yet, mainly because... You know, this is my second career, and I really see some of these young people struggling, and I actually prefer to see them succeed. And mm-hmm. That's really lovely. You know, I just I just want to support those people. Mm-hmm. Um, so Colby is a younger man, and uh, I've traveled with him, actually, for workshops. I went to Costa Rica with him and Cuba, which changed my life when I went to Cuba. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, uh, Cuba. Cuba... Cuba, Cuba. What can I tell you? <laughs> she's, uh, she's looking very wistful right now, folks. <laughs> um, it's, it's, I've never seen a place where people are have so little but so much. Mm-hmm. It's kind of where this country came from when we first began. Um, we, we forget what's really important sometimes. And um, education is important down there. And, uh, yes, there's communism. There's the good and the bad everywhere. But such a joyful community of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me really appreciate what I had at mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. I think that's what Cuba did for me. You know, uh, talk about focusing on what's really important. I think that, uh, you know, a recurring theme is that the past couple of years have made a lot of people sort of redefine what's important and, and try to focus on new things that are more important. And, uh, I agree. I, but I think it's... Some com- of us have done some learning. Some, some have not. <laughs> I think it's compartmentalized a lot of us, though, mm. which is, I think, a detriment to what's going on today. Mm. We're very isolated yeah. still. Well, in our silos. <laughs> yes. In, in our minds. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. But only one, just to go back to that... Yeah. Only one, um, Christina Mittermeier and her husband, Paul Nicklin, are also Sony artisans. Mm -hmm. And Christina is a marine biologist. And I think if I had done anything different in my life, I would have been a marine biologist. I love scuba diving. I love the ocean. And these two are so passionate about teaching the world the beauty and the beast in the ocean. Mm -hmm. The beast being... You know, farm-raised fish and what they're doing to our ocean. Just, uh, you know, the killings of uh, dolphins in Japan. Uh, So they bring photographs of the good and the bad to the public. And they have causes like they raise, you can support only one. They travel around the world, the globe, in an environmentally friendly catamaran. I'm 
always shocked at them making it from place to place because the ocean is fearless. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've seen them in some of their videos that they've had some peril. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, but they travel the world to try to bring awareness to all of these areas, bring awareness to the detriment by eating farm-raised salmon and what it's doing to our ocean in actuality and killing the environment because of all the pesticides and antibiotics that they give the fish. And oh, God. All those things are leaching into the water, killing the corals, killing the other fish, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. So they have um, raised money, for example, to plant corals in the ocean. Oh, I saw that, yeah, because I actually, after we talked and I got your information, you know, I looked it up and actually have signed up oh, good. You know, to get their get their newsletters good good and i give you know you can give anything as minimal as 25 dollars a month to help them uh set sail on their voyages Mm -hmm. um kind of like a shock they're like the shock custos of today yeah so i encourage people to follow them look Mm -hmm. them up follow their photography they're on facebook instagram you know only one.com they're just incredible people well and somebody's gotta do it (laughs) because <laughs> you know what's happening to the oceans is a crime it is and yeah. at least we can help fund it mm-hmm. yeah that's the least we can do yeah i mean everything mother nature's taking a back seat to all the other problems in the world right now mm-hmm. and it's really painful to see it really it really is yeah it's, it's you know we we're looking too much at today and not at the future and not worrying about what's going to be there for our children and our children's children and it's heartbreaking. It is. It is. Yeah. And, you know, it's greed and selfishness, essentially. Yes. In my view. <laughs> it's greed and selfishness and survival in a lot of cases. Well, that's true, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's always survival of the fittest. That's why we always think about ourselves first, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, look, we didn't go through it, but my parents were survivors of the Holocaust. Well, yeah, I did want to actually touch on that, if you don't mind, Not at all. sort of next. Um, Not at so all. let's just, yeah, tell us about that because that sort of relates to, you know, survival. Survival, for sure. <laughs> I mean, such strong people to have mm-hmm. survived what they survived. Mm-hmm. So, how old were they at the time? My father was about 16, my mother was about 14. Mm-hmm. My wow. father wound up in Auschwitz, and my mother was hidden in the ghetto in Ludge, Poland. Mm-hmm. And somehow, uh, my father, through he was put to labor. Um, he was told when he was in line, when the Germans were asking what to do, a man before him said, tell him you're a bricklayer. He said, I'm a bricklayer. And he built Auschwitz. Oh, wow. And that's how he survived. Yeah. And my mother was hidden. She was the youngest of 10 children. Wow. And she was hidden. Um, and most of my family was murdered. Mm-hmm. So it is a miracle that I was born. Mm-hmm. And I never forget that. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, during the pandemic, I, you know, thought about my parents and how they would survive. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kept hearing my parents going, wear your mask, wear your mask, wear your mask. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. (laughs) So, but uh, they have always been a strong influence on my life and my strength. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, they made it through that. They know how to survive. Um, You know, it must be pretty disheartening to see the resurgence of of 
accept, the acceptance of hate. Now, the hate has always been there, but now it's just accepted behavior, and it must be, you know, really particularly disheartening to somebody who's, you know, your parents survived that. My dad fought in the war. He was D-Day plus two, but, you know, really? and, he, and so he, you know, he was a witness, and he said, you know, deniers are scum of the earth because I saw, you know, he didn't live it, but he, he saw. Yeah. So he I, was a witness. Yeah, I mean, the American men that came and uh, liberated the camps were heroes. Mm-hmm. They really were. My father spoke many times of the American planes overhead and the joy that the people felt. Mm-hmm. The he, people that were left. The people that were left. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But unfortunately, I mean, look what's happening in Ukraine. I mean, it just doesn't, we don't learn. What no. is that? Mm-hmm. What, what is that? Yeah. I couldn't kill anything. Mm-mm. I couldn't kill a fly. Yeah. You know, I catch the flies and I let them outside. I do that with spiders. Not so much <laughs> flies, but, and definitely I do not do that with lantern flies. <laughs> they get stomped. Because <laughs> there's nothing good about a spotted lantern fly there. They're, oh, they're, they're supposed to be stomped. They're bad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're supposed to be stomped. Yeah, I have my little mixture of Dawn and vinegar that I spray them with. <laughs> Sheila goes around the house. But other than that, I'm with you. I, yeah, I, I, I don't understand how someone could face another person and take their life. No. I don't understand. And it just seems so arbitrary. I, you know, you know, and it's happening everywhere. Look mm-hmm. at this country right now. Yeah, yeah. Look at Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just day after day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we hear about the mass shootings, but you total up the deaths of the mass shootings. They're just a small fraction of all the murder. It's because people are desperate. Yeah. So in World War II, people were hungry. Mm-hmm. When people are hungry and someone promises you to not be hungry anymore, you follow that person. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is when you get dictators. Yep. Yeah. We're very close to having that. Yes. <laughs> but that's a, another topic <laughs> oh, I've been watching the uh, hearings and uh, yeah. yeah terrifying terrifying that and something like that could happen in mm. this country yeah I wonder what my parents would think you know what your parents would think <laughs> well I know what they would think but I, I just think they they're, they'd just be horrified yeah horrified at what's mm. going on yep. it is greed Mm-hmm. It comes down to money all the time, doesn't it? I th- I think so. I think mm-hmm. so. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you um you know I know that you were recently thinking about making a move, but that's put on the back burner for now. Well, I'm kind of glad we didn't. Um, we want to move to where it doesn't snow and ice anymore. That'll be New Jersey pretty soon <laughs> at the rate the world Maybe. is going. I mean, at this point, we're not going anywhere. It's not the time to move. It's the time to sell, but not the time to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and we're still Mortgage kind of, rates now going up. Interest well, rates, although you, you know, it makes me laugh. We were at 11 and 14%. Not recently. Right, yeah, once upon a time. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh-huh. we were, at, so five, six, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody calm down. Yeah. <laughs> calm down. <laughs> You know, it's not that bad. Um, And it's allowing people to actually get some homes and inspect them properly and, you know, buy with the right intention Mm -hmm. instead of just grab and go, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. Yeah, well, we were selling our home that was my mother's that we had 
bought from her so she could move to uh, independent living, you know, where she thrived beautifully for several years. She loved it. Um, but we had bought the house so she could have the money to do that. And then we were just recently going to sell it. And we were getting calls from flippers in Florida four times a day. Just, you're going to sell that house? You're going to sell that house? And for a long time, we weren't. But, you know, I. but now with the interest rates, you wonder, you know, is it as advantageous? Are they still going to be it's sl- It's definitely slowed buying down. Buying up like hotcakes. <laughs> it's definitely slowed down. Did you sell it? Yeah, we actually sold it to a, a, a friend rather than a there you go. flipper. There you he go. was a lovely guy, a Marine, that lived across the street from her that used to help her take care of her yard. Oh. And uh, that's you, Joe. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I'd much rather sell it to somebody, Absolutely. you know, that, that you're, you care about. Yeah, I mean, we were going to sell... Um, I mean, it's a long story, but the people that were going to buy it just chipped away at us one too many times. Mm-hmm. And we finally said, we're, you know, we don't have to move, so why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And it just didn't make sense anymore. Yeah. Um, and we, it's been two years since we visited South Carolina where we want to move, where we thought we wanted to move, and things have changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody, because of working from home, is gravitating to resort areas per se. Mm-hmm. So it's gotten very crowded and prices have gotten crazy and you couldn't inspect a home and get out of a contingency, mm-hmm. you know? Because they wouldn't let you in face-to-face. Well, they wouldn't let you inspect the home, mm-hmm. you know, with a good inspector and then have an out if there was a real problem. And this is because of the pandemic? Yeah, things mm-hmm. were just like, people were just buying like crazy. Mm-hmm. At crazy prices. So we were like, you know, I'm not going to get into this mayhem right now. Yeah, let's mark time. <laughs> so now we're going to, we'll, we'll um, spend some time down there in the next few months and see what it's like, reevaluate it. And if not there, it'll be somewhere else. I don't know. If. I don't know. <laughs> really, wait long enough and it's going to be very balmy here. <laughs> It actually already is. It I might mean, be beachfront property. <laughs> well, that we too. Know. <laughs> that too. Yeah, that's what we've been saying. It's like, yeah, it won't be that long, but uh, yeah. I mean, I I love it here. I think the climate is perfect because we we get rain and uh, it's very lush and green. So in winter, I like a little winter, and that's about all we get now. It's a little yeah, winter. a little winter, but a lot of gray. Mm, yeah, there's that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we have like a good seven months of gray, mm-hmm. and that's tough for me these days. That's the way it was in Ohio. That's where I grew up, and it was—it just felt like it was always gray. <laughs> so I, I don't remember it being gray in Connecticut, but I'm sure it was. <laughs> probably, probably. I was too busy with other things in life, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, um, you know, other than that, you know, you said that you were actually hoping for a better future for all, and I just wonder, you know. I mean, I feel the same, but I'm not necessarily hopeful. So I love it when, you know, some of the folks that come to talk to me are more optimistic and have a more positive outlook. So, Well, I can't say that I am super optimistic these days, but when I follow people like Christina and Colby and and Paul Nicklin, and I see what these young people are doing, mm-hmm. it does give me hope. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I count on them. So. Well, that's the thing. I think that's some really, actually, that's some really good advice that you can leave for the listeners is to surround yourself with those kinds of people, the people that have vision and are taking action. And um, 
you know, that's what you're doing, you know, seeing these people, it does give you hope and helping them, you know, so. As much as you can. And, you know, in, in the little way I can help the local gardens and environments, it's environmental, so. Mm-hmm. Well, these are things that are important, you know, and we, you know, we have a tendency to f- focus on what we see in the news and, and lose sight of, you know, the smaller efforts that are out there and the, the local things that, that need help and, and that we can actually have an impact. You know, you feel like you can't have an impact, but things like that, you know, working with uh, folks on the oceans and working with the arboretums, it's local stuff that, you know, you're having an impact. So that's, that's important. Hopefully. Yeah. So, so any other thoughts before we close? No, all good. Okay, cool. Well, I want to thank you for sharing your time with us, Sandy, and it's been great reconnecting with you and catching up on your new creative passions. And I hope everybody will go to Sandy's website and check out her photography, some really beautiful things. I now I'm a follower. <laughs> and to my listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our time with Sandy and that our conversations continue to provide food for thought. Uh, please tune in next time when we continue to share how people's lives have evolved over the past two years and as they adapt to a pandemic-changed world. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay connected.